You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch, but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. In chapter 1, James discussed how our faith should respond to trials, um, difficulty, sufferings, if you will. It, was, it said trials, but you can include all those things. So he was talking about how we should respond, that action, reaction, that walk the walk, talk the talk, like I said last week. Um, the... Um, the wisdom given to us by God, how it's implanted in us already. We just have to ask for faith to get through those. So in chapter 2, then James is going to, just, to describe additional difficulties too today. And the chapter opens with this examination of responses uh, to people from varying social backgrounds. Okay, So we remember that James wrote... To in this first century to a very partial, okay, he's going to use the word partiality. So there's a very partial age. I would still, I would say that we still have that in our culture today, but it was filled with prejudice and hatred based on class, okay, and especially ethnicity and nationality, along with the religious background. So in the ancient world, people were routinely and permanently categorized because they were Jew or Gentile, right? Slave or free, rich or poor. So let's start with the first one where he says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Right now, there's an interesting Greek word here that's used for personal favoritism, and it's a translation of this Hebraic or Hebrew idiom that literally means to lift up the face. All right. The point of the idiom is that lifting our face to someone is to show them our favor or attention to the exclusion of others around. Okay. It's like undivided attention. All right. I had a teacher in sixth grade always said that. I want your undivided attention. Every day he would always say that. <laughs> So uh, James says, don't hold your faith in Christ with favoritism among men. Okay, again, we're talking about a man or a woman of faith who is acting wrongly in that faith. All right, we'll see this. Verses two through four. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, hey, stand over there or sit at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Okay, so there's two different men 
who enter the assembly. The assembly is the synagogue here, okay? So today it would be church. Two different men enter church. The contrast between these men is clear. One's, one's wearing a very ex- expensive clothing, the, the gold ring, right? While other is, is poor because he's got dirty clothes. The rich man's known by the gold ring, and in and, and the Greek it would have been uh, tons, uh, lots of jewelry, gold all over, robe probably, all that fancy stuff from back then that you would see in pictures or movies, right? Today it would be like what? Gucci outfit, Armani suit, tailored and fit, really nice, with a Rolex and all that, right? And then someone that looks like me. That's the poor man. <laughs> this Walmart button-up shirt. Just trying to be silly. All right. There, there, you can tell the difference, though, right? Here. The rich, the poor. Okay. So in, in the visibility of the wealth or social status, that's another big one today, I would believe, social status within the community, right? It's in those where we find this potential difficulty of developing or the, of developing, right, uh, this partiality within us in the assembly, in the church. It's how we choose to think and it's how we choose to act in response to that show of wealth. The key to proper response, as before, as we've already seen, is to think and to act like God thinks and acts. To have wisdom from His Word to know how He would respond to this. It's relying on godly wisdom and being led by the Spirit. To favor the rich man over the poor in the way that James describes here is shows a deep carnality then among the believer. It shows that we care more about outward appearance than we do about the inward uh, uh, appearance, if you will, or the inward of what we care about the heart. Right? So the Lord does not see man as we, right, see man. Right? Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. We know this, right? And we always hear that. Don't, don't judge a, a book by its cover too, right? So our, our faith should bring with it an understanding that all men have sinned. They're all sinners. They all, all have fallen short from, of the glory of God. And our faith also understands that it's by Christ's blood that we have all been made new creatures or creations and are seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. So when we look upon brothers and sisters in Christ and assume that one is to be better or more important than the other, he's saying that's sinful. And the reason it is, is that we aren't looking at each other with eyes of faith because we're relying on worldly uh, eyes or standards or whatever, right? That's of the world. So James says that our favoritism for the rich Christian over the poor one stems then from evil motives in verse 4 because he says you've judged with evil thoughts, right? It shows a selfish streak in us. 
Usually, we would favor, we in general, okay, we would favor the rich over the poor because, poor because we believe we're going to be able to get something from the rich, right? Even if it's just better acceptance, social status or acceptance. He can do favors for us, the poor man can't. If we had a rich man here, he could pay the bills, right? <laughs> That's usually, there's some sort of thinking that goes on with that with the rich person or so or the pop, even just popular right popularity think about being a kid wanting to hang out with the popular crowd if i could only get in with them right i don't know if, i mean i never really thought that way but most people do five through seven listen my beloved brothers has not god chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you in the court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Okay, so God, he says, God chose the poor of the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. But when we show the poor scorn, or we simply dismiss them, then we have dishonored that person. If we were to see them with the eyes of the Lord or with eyes of eternity or for eternity, knowing that they share the same eternal future as we do, then we wouldn't shame them or we wouldn't disregard them. And then he moves on that moves on that not only is this a, a differ, uh, differentiation uh, sinful, but it's also fruitless, he says, right? The rich do not respond to our favoritism by throwing their money around. They don't make it rain for us money all the time. They take it for granted. They ultimately become the oppressors of society, especially if they are the ones fighting to keep their wealth. Okay, so uh, think, think, think about it. He, he gives the general truth that the rich and the powerful tend to be the ones in society that speak out against the church, speak out against Christ, reject God, reject uh, Christians in general. He reminds his readers that the rich are often the ones that sin against them because they're the ones that oppress them and drag them into court, often because of the love of money. And the love of money is the root of, of all kinds of evil. So for this reason alone, the rich are not worthy of the partiality that's often shown to them. There's nothing wrong with being rich, okay? It's the partiality and the favoritism and then how the rich can act with their money. So again, James instructs us on how to live according to the wisdom provided to us by God in, in, in verses 8 and 9. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. All right, Jesus, if we remember, Jesus was asked which commandment in the law was the most important. Do you know what his answer was? 
Latina. The most important was to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second most important is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. James is taking for granted that his readers have understood the first commandment, having come the faith in Christ. And so now he is reminding them and us that we have a responsibility to fulfill the second one just as much. All right. That if we treat every person as we would treat ourselves, um, as if we were on the receiving end, then we are following the royal law. And we are doing well. Christ gave two broad commandments for Christians under the new covenant. Love God, love your neighbor. All right. James says unequivocally that when we show partiality within the body of Christ, then we are failing at the second commandment. We transgress the law of Christ And James moves forward into an examination of this law and how we can breach it. 10 and 11. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. All right. So, well, we've talked about this a lot, right? With the law, six hundred and thirteen commands, all this, right? You break one, you break the whole law. He's he's guarding us against selective obedience here. Okay. You pick and choosing, all right? The selective obedience is is the sort that will pick and choose which commandments of God should be obeyed, which could be safely disregarded, right? And that is, we say, we can't, we can't say we like, we like this bunch here. I've put together this list of the commands that are easy and, and I see they're good. They're pretty standard. Don't murder. We know that. Don't do that, right? I shouldn't murder somebody, right? No, you know, but... Lying. I mean, sometimes you got to tell lies and stuff. So over here, like, you know, that one, it's okay. Right? We can't do that. (laughs) We can't, we're not to do that, right? We can't say we like this one and the other one. We're going to disregard these, though, because we disagree with them or we're in conflict with them in some way because God cares about the whole law, right? He cares about the whole law. Yeah. Huh? Right. Okay, today is a big, big thing uh, in the church today about stuff you're going going over right now with women, right? The women. Uh, there's uh, people who um, point to the Word of God saying that women shouldn't be teachers or preachers, right? Don't allow a, a woman preacher. Why? And then there's, there's, a, there's an explanation. The order in which God created... Man and then woman, right? And man is the head, and but he's to love his wife and all. And there's all these things, right? And so there's, what's the two? You say the words better. Complementarian and egalitarian. Egalitarian and complementarian, right? So they're always there's these things going online all the time about this, right? When 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 we say no, we're totally equal. 
right, man and women are 100% and equal, then we're going to be disregarding things from the Word of God. And if we look at the Word of God and then we say, well, you know, it, it was like it, it's saying that, but this is why it says that, and this is blah, blah, blah. And I know this doesn't make sense because I'm just rambling. But what I'm, what I'm getting at is we, we, we take our assumptions, we take our beliefs, we take our presuppositions, whatever they are, we impose them onto the Word of God. Therefore, you'll see it then if you do that. You'll eventually be able to see it and to make an argument for it. Doesn't mean you're right, right? But when you start to do that, you start to disregard what God has put into his word. Therefore, you're throwing out his wisdom and you're starting to create confusion and chaos within your theology, within your church, within the community. All right? So, he, James is saying, like, do not have a selective obedience. All right? You cannot pick and choose. All right, the whole like and he said God cares about the whole law. All right. So therefore, the whole law must be kept. All right. All 613 if one is going to be justified by the law. Someone who keeps one of them but fails to keep another. Okay. Is a person is uh, is just as surely a transgressor of the law as someone who is broken both of them. So when we show partiality, James says we, we not only fail to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, but we also fail to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in that sense, our faith and love for God then are closely interconnected with our behavior. When we fail in our behaviors, then we are working against or we are in opposition to our confession of faith. We weaken our testimony. We weaken our confession and we limit it, its usefulness to us and to God. We may already know and understand Okay, as a side note, that Christians are, as we as Christians, we are not under the law, right? Given in the old covenant. But it's by Christ's fulfillment of the law's requirements that he has met its terms on our behalf. And by faith, we are credited with that work. We should know this. So the old covenant has been fulfilled in Christ's work and no longer requires our work. Right? That's to say then we have ceased from that work. Okay? So the law, the laws are the two I mentioned earlier. And scripture calls these two laws the law of liberty or the law of Christ. So James refers to the law, though, the Mosaic law, and the consequences that came with violating it. And then he shows you that you can do the same under the law of liberty. Does that make sense? Hmm? Say it again. Scripture calls the two, the, the, the laws I mentioned earlier... The law of liberty and the law of Christ. And then James references or refers back to the law, right? Mosaic law 
and the consequences that came with violating it and shows that you can do the same under the law of liberty. Right? I said under the law. <clears throat> Let's see here. Sorry. Someone who keeps one but fails to keep another, that, that they're, they're a transgressor of the law, right? As if you've broken both of them, okay? <clears throat> so, um, then I said, dude, where's it at? So when we are showing in context here and par showing partiality, James says we not only fail then to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, but then we are failing to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So you're not just guilty now of that and the partiality. That affects the other one. So he's showing how these are, you can put these together like that. Okay. Not much left. <clears throat> These are a little shorter because um, I always think it's going to end up being longer. And six pages on a tablet only looks like a page. <laughs> it's like, wow, okay, what's going on? All right, so does every, do you guys understand what I have said then? Okay, verse 12 through 13, this is the last two. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So the law of liberty, liberty is the standard of conduct then for us, for every believer, okay? The law of liberty is the standard of conduct for every Christian. This law has replaced, some people won't like that, replaced Mosaic, the Mosaic law, which, but... The, the, here's the thing. It condemned us prior to faith, right? Liberty doesn't mean freedom to sin, okay? I'm not talking about the sloppy grace stuff, all right? But freedom to follow God's spirit and obedience to his will, knowing that our righteousness has already been obtained. And it's the blessed assurance. It's the assurance of faith. We are saved. I am righteous and holy. And it's on account of who is in me, Christ in me. That's, that's, that's the reason why. And we've talked about it several times. Change will come and you want to obey. You want to do God's will. You want to follow his word. You want wisdom. Okay, so it's not out here doing any, anything, everything I want to do because woo, uh, law of liberty. Okay, I, I don't think I have to explain myself, but thought I would a little bit there. So we have, we have already been given our place in the kingdom. Okay, and our eternal salvation is assured by, uh, based on that gift of faith the gift has freed us from following the letter of the law of moses which was of earning salvation all right so through christ's perfect life we are already credited with having lived the law perfectly so we no longer need to attempt to live it as a means of pleasing god but then the question becomes, how will we serve the Lord now that we have been freed from the need to work for salvation? And James teaches that we are expected to obey according to the Spirit. And that means following God's direction in our life 
by listening to the Spirit's call and direction on our life. And the Spirit's intent will always be to draw us toward living out the royal law or this law of liberty. Okay? So James mentions mercy here in closing because he's speaking about the consequences of showing favoritism. When we show favoritism to one believer over another, we are the one who has failed to show mercy because we have made a judgment against the poor brother in favor of the rich brother. We have failed uh, to show mercy to the poor brother. Uh, if someone is, you know, let's just say in the more evangelical or charismatic church, I make a judgment against this person who has no gifts, but this person here is really good at prophecy. I need to be around them more. I need to follow them more, right? We have made judgments now. We have not showed mercy to the one who we have, uh, uh, assume has no gift. We should always show mercy to others by refraining from this partiality that he speaks of. The mercy we show is that it's extended to us again and again. It's always extended to us. It's there, but it's extended to us. He, he makes this, this uh, reference to on the day of judgment and says that mercy triumphs over judgments. So James is relating a principle, okay? This principle from Christ in his Sermon on the Mount, where he stated, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure uh, uh, you, you use, it will be measured back to you, is Matthew 7, 2. He's relating this principle. So he is now going to begin to discuss the relationship with faith and works for, for a believer by asking, what use is it to have faith but no works? by posing the question, how do we expect to profit from faith if, if it's absent, completely absent of works? And we'll see that next week. And that's the big, uh, the, the part in James that's, that's the most well-known and the most uh, famous, if you will. And what he's doing is establishing a principle that true faith will naturally be accompanied by a change and with action. In other words, the Christian faith in life is a demonstration of a living faith in loving action, okay? And it, it's really simplistic, and people make a really big deal out of it, this part in James that we'll see next week, but that's what he's going to be doing. That's where we'll be going. So questions, comments, concerns, <laughs> disagreements, favoritism? I was thinking how I would probably say he's in favor of the poor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, it goes both ways. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then the whole, what you're saying, like people judging you because you are active in the gift of prophecy, I would be like, I would judge the person, <laughs> mm -hmm. that person. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, yeah, it's not just to the rich and poor. There's no, definitely... There's, uh, uh, a scale of weights and balances. So, so many, so many uh, types. Yeah, so many judgments. So, um, gifts, no gifts, certain giftings over others. To, ah, uh, uh, oh man, so, so many. I mean, 
Yeah, you got to be careful on how on how how uh, stern, or I guess you. I don't know if that's the right word, but how maybe stern or uh, passionate you would say uh, about what your preference would be too, right? Actually, actually, a good example was what we were talking about when you first got here about these our daily breads. And Dad was like, "These are up here if you need them." And I was like, "No," nah. because I don't, I don't read them. Um, but I had not made a judgment that those are like if you read those, then whatever. You know, I, I don't read them because I study a different way. I do a devotion in a different way. It works for him. It helps him, and that's fine. So it's both fine. But if I became at like very passionate about being against those and go, no, we're not having these, and then threw them out the door and said, you guys can't have these and read these, like <laughs> that's what this what we've been talking about. That's a, that's a problem. 